0: This program is made possible by Biblewaymedia.org, overseen by the Ulog Church of Christ in Ulaga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is
1: Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Today we want to continue our studies in the book of Job and we're going to begin with Job chapter eighteen. Uh, Job 18 is Bildad's second speech to Job. Bildad is highly incensed at Job's response to Eliphaz. He continues the assault against Job. B.C. Carr in the 16 Spiritual Sword Lectures on page 171 wrote this, and I quote, It has been said of Bildad that he had three characteristics of a great speaker, a vivid imagination, glowing eloquence, and a vehement passion. He also had three great defects, a lack of calmness, a lack of prudence, and a lack of sympathetic tenderness, Well, in Job chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, Bildad accuses Job of being long-winded. He first asked Job, how long will he keep trying to hunt for arguments by which to entrap his friends? That's Job 18, verses 1 and 2. Those verses say, then answered Bildad to shoe and said, how long will it be ere ye make an end of words? Mark and afterwards we will speak. The American Standard Version there renders it, how long will ye hunt for words? <clears throat> so Bildad is telling Job, say all you have to say and then we will speak. But he tells Job, you speak distinctly, clearly and intelligently. And then consider what we have been saying. The word mark there means in the Hebrew word, and this is uh, Brown Driver Briggs' definition, to be discerning, intelligent, discreet, have understanding. Uh, Albert Barnes is saying that, well, Bildad is saying this, and I quote, You, Job, have been altering mere words. They are words of complaint without argument. Speak now in a different manner. Show that you understand the case. Advance arguments that are worthy of attention, and then we will reply, In verse 3, Bildad asked Job, why are they considered as if they had no reason or understanding? Verse 3, Job 18. Wherefore are we counted as beasts, and reputed vile in your sight. Well, in Job chapter 12, verse 7, Job tells them to go to the beast to get knowledge and understanding. Job twelve seven says, and this is Job speaking, But ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. So Bildad said Job is considering them as being vile there in Job 18, verse 3. Well, the word vile there from the Hebrew word tamah, and this is Wilson's Old Testament word studies definition of that word, to be unclean, defiled, wicked. So Bildad is saying, Job, you're considering us as being unclean and wicked. Well, Bildad accuses Job of having a self-devouring rage. Verse four. Job eighteen four says he teareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee, and shall the rock be removed out of his place? Bildad is saying here, it's not God who tore you. But your own anger is destroying Job, is what he's saying, and fighting against God. <coughs> Back in Job chapter 16, verse 9, Job said that it was God who was doing that. Job 16:9, Job said, He, referring to God, Teareth me in his wrath, who hateth me? He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. So Bildad saying, it's not God who's doing that to you, Job. You're doing it to yourself. And then Bildad accuses Job of having great egotism. There where he said, shall the earth be forsaken for thee, and shall the rock be removed out of his place? Again, quoting B.C. Carr on page 171 of the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectureship book, quote, In other words, Job, you expect God to reverse his order of all things just to accommodate you. Bildad's view was that Job was wicked and that God always punished the wicked. Yet Job thought that God should reverse his action in his case. Surely Job is guilty of egotism, unquote. Well, Bildad now predicts what will happen to Job in Job 18, verses five through 21. In verse five, he says, Job, your happiness is going to fail. Job eighteen five. Yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out, and the spark of his fire shall not shine. The word light there from the Hebrew word hor, O-R, And this is Wilson's definition again. By an elegant figure, light signifies prosperity, honor, joy, and all manner of happiness in this world and the next. So Bildad is saying your joy, your happiness is going to be dark, not only now, but in the next world as well. In Job 18:6, Bildad says, "Job, your life is going to be bleak." Verse six: "The light shall be dark in his tabernacle; his candle shall be put out with him." Albert Barnes states this concerning the verse and I quote: "The putting out of the lamp is to the Orientals an image of utter desolation. It is the universal custom to have a light burning in their houses at night." unquote. So Job, you're going to face utter desolation and that's that's what you're going through now. So you need to face the fact that you're wicked. That's why God is punishing you and that's what Bildad is saying. (laughs) Well, in verse 7 of Job 18, Bildad says, Job, your course of life shall be hindered by adversaries and your wicked counsel will be your undoing. Job 18:7 The steps of his strength shall be straightened and his own counsel shall cast him down. In this verse he's saying in your prosperity you're going to have trials and great difficulty and you will be the victim of your own boastful ambitious wicked schemes. And look at what's happening to you. Well in verses 8 to 10 Bildad says, Job, you set these traps for yourself. Job eighteen eight through 10. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. The jinn shall take him by the heel, and the robber shall prevail against him. The snare is laid for him in the ground and a trap for him in the way. So he goes, you're caught in your own net. The word net there from the Hebrew word j- resheth. Strong says that word means a net as catching animals. So, Bildad is telling Job, Your conduct, your own conduct, is going to bring you to ruin. And then he says, You know, you're entangled in your own snare cords, and the more you try to get out, the more tangled up you're going to get. Now, the word gin there that we looked at in verse 9, the jinn shall take him by the heel. That's the Hebrew word "pok," And Wilson says that word means this, net, snare, perhaps what is laid on the ground and spread out. <coughs> B.C. Carr on page 173 of the lectureship book stated this, and I quote, the jinn was perhaps a man trap common in days past to catch thieves. He would be his victim. Instead of being able to escape the robber, he would be his own prey, And then the snare was a rope used in catching animals, and it would also refer to pain and sorrow. Again, a trap is just an instrument to catch things with. So Bildad uses five different kinds of snares and traps to show Job that all the calamities that have come upon him are because of his own wickedness and his own schemes coming back upon him. <clears throat> he said Job, verse 11, Job 18, Job you will never feel secure. Verse 11 says, Terror shall make him afraid on every side and shall drive him to his feet. Well you think about some of the things that Job is experiencing. He's having nightmares, he's having fears and Bildad is telling Job, it's your wickedness that's causing you to experience these things. Let's look at some of these verses. Go to, let's see, Job 3.25 first. Job chapter 3, verse 25. And this is Job speaking. He says, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. So there's fear. In Job 7.14, Job 7.14, then speaking to God, then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifies me through visions. So he's having these nightmares and these fears in Job chapter 9, verse 28. Job 9.28, Job says, I am afraid of all my sorrows, I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. And then Job thirteen twenty one. Job thirteen twenty one Withdraw thine hand from me, he says to God, and let not thy dread make me afraid. So Bildad is telling Job here, all these things that you're experiencing is because you're wicked. And then he's saying, Job, you want to run away from terror, but terror is going to be like a dog snapping at your heels. That's what's happening. Albert Barnes says, quote, the idea is that he will be alarmed by such terrors. His self-composure will be dissipated and he will take to his heels, unquote. Well, in verse 12, Bildad says to Job, Job, your strength will be diminished and hardship is ready to devour you, Job eighteen twelve. <coughs> his strength shall be hunger-bitten and destruction shall be ready at his side. The word destruction Brown Driver Briggs uh, just gives this definition for the Hebrew word aed, it means distress, burden, calamity. Bildad is saying the wicked man will be crushed by misfortune. And he's saying, Job, that's what's happening to you. That means you're wicked. Well, in verse 13 of Job 18, Bildad says, Job, the wicked man's skin is devoured like yours is. Job 18:13 it shall devour the strength of his skin even the firstborn of death shall devour his strength so right there we see that you know job's skin is being devoured by his disease and the firstborn of death may also refer to job's disease and then he says in verse 14 job you will find no security in your life and you're going to die that way job 18:14 His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. All right, first of all, we find the word confidence. His confidence shall be rooted out. From the Hebrew word mibtach, which Strong says means this, properly a refuge, that is objectively security, or subjectively, assurance. Job is going to lose his security. (coughs) Albert Barnes says of the verse, and I quote, Security shall forsake his dwelling, and he shall be in subject to constant alarms. There shall be nothing therein which he can confide, and all that he relied on as sources of safety shall have fled, unquote. John Gill there says of the phrase, the king of terrors, (coughs) he says, and I quote, "...death is a king. It reigns. It has a large empire, even the whole world. Its subjects are numerous, all, high and low, rich and poor, great and small, and the duration of its reign is long." It reigned from Adam to Moses, from Moses to the coming of Christ, and from thence to this day, and will to the end of the world. And it reigns with an irresistible power. <clears throat> and this king is a king of terrors to wicked men. Unquote. Well, death is here called the king of terrors, but Christ came to take care of that problem. Keep your marker here in Job 18, and let's go to Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 says, For as much then as the children are protectors of flesh and blood, he also himself, that being Christ, Likewise, took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So Jesus came to relieve that problem of death, <coughs> the fear of death. In Job chapter 15, 18, verse 15 now, Job, Bildad says, Desolation will be the inhabitant of your dwelling when you are dead Job eighteen fifteen. It King of Terrors there verse fourteen shall dwell in his tabernacle because it is none of his. Brimstone shall be scattered upon his habitation. <laughs> BC Carl on page one hundred seventy four of the Spiritual Sword Lectureship book stated this and I quote him. His place will become waste and void, even as Sodom, after God had rained fire and brimstone from heaven. Unquote. So brimstone scattered on his habitation, desolation. In chapter 18 verse 16, <clears throat> he says, "Job, you will have no one left to carry on your name." Job 18:16. "His roots shall be dried up beneath, and above shall his branch be cut off. Adam Clark says this, and I quote, He shall be utterly destroyed, both in himself, his posterity, and his property, as a tree whose branches are all lopped off and whose every root is cut away, unquote. It's amazing the number of times that Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz bring up the death of Job's children. And they're going to be every one a deep, scarring, hurt, intense hurt as Job remembers the death of his ten children. Well, in verse eight, uh, 17 and 18, <clears throat> he goes, uh, Job, even your name will never be remembered. Job 18, 17, and 18. His remembrance shall perish from the earth, and he shall have no name in the street. The memory of you, Job, is going to fade away into the darkness. No one will ever speak of you after you're dead. And really and truly, the living will be glad to get rid of you and chase you out of this life and bury you quickly as we do a wicked person. You're going to be chased out of the world, Job, by people. Well, in Job chapter 18, verse 19, he goes, Job, all of your family will be extinct because of your wickedness. Job 18:19. he shall neither have son nor nephew, that would be a son, son, or grandson, among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. Again, his family is going to be extinct. Job, your children are dead. They're dead. You have no grandchildren. There's no one to carry on your wicked name is what Bildad is telling him here. And then in verse 20, he says, Job, your fate will alarm those yet to be born, just as it caused fear in us, your contemporaries. Verse 20 of Job 18 they that come after him shall be astonished at his day, and they that went before, or as they that went before were affrighted. So it's it's funny that he says up in verse 19, your family's going to be extinct in verses 17 and 18. No one's ever going to speak of you after you're dead, and here he's saying your fate's going to be discussed everywhere. That's quite the opposite of the memory of you is going to fade away into the darkness. Well Adam Clark says and I quote the young shall be struck with astonishment when they hear the relation of the judgments of God upon this wicked man. And as they that went before the aged who were his contemporaries and who saw judgments the judgments that fell on him were affrighted (laughs) unquote. And then he says Job All of this will happen to you if you refuse to repent and turn to God. Verse 21, it says, Such are the dwellings of the wicked. This is the place of him that knoweth not God. You realize what he's telling Job? Job, you don't even know God all these are calamities, though all these things are upon you because you don't know God and because of the wicked life that you have lived. Yobildad know, has no doubt that Job's sins are causing his great suffering. He warns Job of what will happen to him if he refuses to repent of those great sins. And he goes, and some of those things are happening to you right now. So, to Bildad, that proves that what he's saying about Job is true. Well, Job is going to respond to these accusations here in chapter 19. Well, Bildad had just finished blasting Job for what he supposed was Job's hypocrisy, and he warned what's going to happen to evil men like Job. Well, Wayne Jackson, on page 51 of his work, The Book of Job, said this, and I quote, Both Bildad and Job believed that Job's hardships were from God, but here is the difference. The former declared it was due to Job's sinfulness, while the latter contended it was the result of God's injustice. Both were absolutely wrong, unquote. So in other words, what he's saying there, Bildad is saying, Job, you're suffering because you're wicked. Job says, God's punishing me in an unjust way. I don't deserve this. Well, let's look at Job's response to Bildad <laughs> in Job 19one 6, first of all. In verses 1 and 2, Job asks, How long will they torment him and crush him with words? Job nineteen one and 2. Then Job answered and said, how long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? You know, James mentions that the tongue is like a fire. And that is what the words of Job's friends were to him. We go to James chapter 3, look at verses 5 and 6. James chapter
0: 3 verses
1: 5 and 6. It says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. So right there Job's friends were using their tongues to torture Job. Now Jesus warned us about the use of our tongues in Matthew 12, 36 and 37. Matthew 12, 36 and 37. He said, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy thy words shalt thou be justified, and by thy words shalt thou be condemned. So Job is here saying that the words of his friends are crushing him. Well, Job may be replying to the haunting speech that Bildad made earlier in chapter 18, verse 2, where Bildad said, How long will it be ere you make an end of words? Mark or consider, and afterwards we will speak. So Bildad asked how long would it be until Job made an end of his empty talk? And Job asked them, How long will they torture and afflict him? Albert Barnes said of the phrase there and break me in pieces and I quote crush me or bruise me like breaking anything in a mortar or breaking rocks by repeated blows of the hammer unquote. They were hammering Job with their words. In Job 19 verse 3 Job accuses his friends of insulting him many times. Job 19:3. These ten times have ye reproached me. You're not ashamed that you make yourselves strange to me. The American Standard Version says, "Deal hardly with me." So over and over they had reproached Job and they were not ashamed of what they had done and what they were doing. The phrase, make yourself strange, from the Hebrew word hakar, means, according to Strong's, apparently to injure. The literal translation of the Bible translates Job nineteen three this way. This ten times you have shamed me, you are not ashamed that you have wronged me. Adam Clark stated this, and I quote, When I was in affluence and prosperity, you were my intimates and appeared to rejoice in my happiness. But now you scarcely know me, or you profess to consider me a wicked man because I am in adversity. Of this you had no suspicion when I was in prosperity circumstances change men's minds" unquote. well job says that if he is this wicked person that he, they say that he is they still have no right to treat him the way they are job 19:4 he says and if it be indeed that i have erred my error remaineth with myself Job argues there is no public record of his sin and no record of whom he has sinned against nothing there well, Job believes that God has brought all these calamities on him for no good reason Job nineteen five and six job nineteen five and six and if indeed ye will magnify yourselves against me and plead against me my reproach, know now that God hath overthrown me, and hath compassed me with his net. (laughs) So right here you can assume here that Job's friends had taken a tone of superiority instead of showing compassion. Albert Barnes says this about these two verses, and I quote, Instead of magnifying yourselves against me, setting yourselves up as censors and judges, overwhelming me with reproaches and filling my mind with pain and anguish, you ought to show to me the sympathy of a friend, Unquote. Well, Job believes the matter is between him and God. God this did this to me, so don't add your reproaches to God's chastisements. Well, Bildad said that Job was caught in his own net. Back there in Job 18, verse 8 says, For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. Well, Job declares that it is God that has caught him in his net. Job's health and prosperity had been completely destroyed because of what God had done to him is what he is thinking. We know better, do we not? Because we can read to the end of the book, and we saw the first part of the book that Job did not know. Well, now in verses 7 through 12 of Job 19, Job cries out against God's wrath. First, Job says he had cried out to God, but God didn't did not listen, Job 19, verse 7. It says, Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. So Job believed that God was not treating him fairly and that there was no one to defend him, <clears throat> Job thought he had received no justice at all from God or from his three friends. Well, Job in verse 8 of Job 19 says that God has walled him in and darkened his path. Job nineteen eight. He hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and he hath set darkness in my paths. So Job believes that God has walled him in with these torments. Uh, Billy Bland in the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectureship book there on page 187 states this, and I quote, He, God, had fenced up his way, walled him in that he could not pass. He could not see where he was going because God had darkened his paths, unquote so job is saying that god is like an army surrounding a city under siege and he cannot find a way out of his troubles well job's prosperity or excuse me his property his health his family his friends all his glory was gone job 19:9 9. he has stripped me from my glory or stripped me of my glory and the and Taken the crown from my head. So Job is saying I've lost all honor, I've lost all respect from others even. And then Job says God destroyed him there in Job nineteen ten. He hath destroyed me on every side and I am gone, and mine hope hath he removed like a tree. The word destroyed there from the Hebrew word not, hots, according to Brown Driver Briggs, means to pull down, break down, cast down, throw down, beat down, destroy, overthrow, or like breaking out the teeth. The word is used of destroying cities and houses. So he said he destroyed every he's destroyed everything. And then he says, I'm gone. I'm, in other words, I'm near death and there's no way to recover. I'm like a tree plucked up by the roots with no hope ever to grow again. In Job 19.11, Job feels that God is treating him like an enemy. Job 19.11. He hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. Job believes that God's burning anger is against him and that he is perceived by God as an enemy. Well, Job does not believe that God is chastising him out of love then. He believes, but God is chastising him because God is treating him like an enemy well <clears throat> again job feels like a besieged city that god has surrounded job 19:12 his troops come together and raise up their way against me and encamp round about my tabernacle troops are referred to the calamities that job was enduring just like troops would surround a city under siege, Job says, God has surrounded me. He's got me under siege with all my troubles and all my calamities and all the pain that I'm having to go through. In verses 13 through 22 of Job 19, Job complains that his kinfolk have forsaken him. He feels all alone. Job nineteen thirteen and fourteen <laughs> he says he hath put my brethren far from me, and mine acquaintance are verily estranged from me. My kinsfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. Job is saying that his friends have fail, uh, excuse me his family has failed him. his friends have become strangers to him. And he blames God because he says, He hath done all this to me. Job feels kind of like the psalmist did in Psalm 142, verse 4. Psalm 142, verse 4. He says, I looked on my right hand and behold, but there was and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. no man cared for my soul. And that's the way that job is feeling. <clears throat> he said in job 19, fifteen and sixteen that job's household attendants uh, treated him as if they did not know him. Job 19: fifteen and sixteen. They that dwell in mine house, and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I called my servant, and he gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. Even Job's servants had lost all respect for him. They ignored him. They showed him no pity. And then Job's wife shunned him because of his terrible breath caused by his disease and things that were happening to him. Verse 17 of Job 19. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. Job's wife, his brothers, had no pity on him. The literal translation puts verse 17 this way. My breath is strange to my wife, and I must beg to the sons of my mother's womb. So his wife, again, treating him cruelly. His own brothers, he begs of them, and yet they treat him cruelly. They ignore him. In chapter 19, verse 18, Job says that Young children despise him instead of showing the respect that they should have for him. Chapter 19, verse 18. Yea, young children despise me. I arose and they spake against me. So children do not even respond to Job in a respectful way. So in verse 19 of Job 19, Job says he's lost all all of his close associations job 1919 19. all my inward friends have abhorred me and they whom I loved are turned against me He was betrayed by his friends and a betrayal by friends is a bitter pill to swallow. In Psalm 55, look at verses 12 and 13. Psalm 55, verses 12 and 13. It says, Therefore it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man my equal, my guide or companion, the American Standard says, and mine acquaintance. Again, the American Standard says, my familiar friend. Billy Bland said on page 189 of the Spiritual Sword Lectureship book, and I quote, How tragic is it to extend life to someone only to be turned against by the, or love, excuse me, expend love to someone, only to be turned against by the very one who was the object of such love. Unquote. Those that Job loved turned against him. And in verse 20 of Job 19, Job says that he is just barely hanging in there. Verse 20. My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Job is in a pitiful condition, and it should have caused others to have pity on him, but it did not. They acted in just the opposite way. No compassion, no kindness, no pity at all. J. Allen Blair in the work Living Patiently on page 164 stated this and I quote he must have been in a pitiful condition the phrase my bone cleaveth to my skin suggests that he was extremely thin nothing but skin and bones and the proverbial statement the skin of my teeth suggests that he was holding on to life by a thread. Unquote. In Job nineteen twenty one, Job pleads for sympathy. He says, Have pity upon me, have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Albert Barnes says concerning this verse, and I quote God has afflicted me and stripped me of all my comforts, and I am left a poor, distressed, forsaken man. I make my appeal unto you, my friends, and entreat you to have pity, to sympathize with me, and to sustain me by the words of consolation, Unquote. So Job believed that God's crushing hand was extremely heavy upon him, and he asked his friends to have sympathy. Well in verse twenty two, Job asked his friends why they're persecuting him like God is Job nineteen twenty two Why do ye persecute me as God and are not satisfied with my flesh? So again, Joe believes God was punishing him and so did his friends. And that is why they had forsaken him. Adam Clark said concerning this verse, and I quote, <clears throat> Will ye persecute my soul while God is persecuting my body? Is it not enough that my body is destroyed? Why then labor to torment my mind? Unquote. Well, In verses 23 to 27, Job there confidently affirms that he will be vindicated. First of all, Job wants his words to be recorded for all time. Job 19, 23, and 24. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. <clears throat> well, Job had been accused of hypocrisy by his friends, but he maintained his innocence, and he wanted his innocence recorded in permanent form. Albert Barnes says, and I quote, The reason why Job mentions the iron pen here is that he wished a permanent record. He did not desire one to be made with paint or chalk, but one which would convey his sentiments down to future times, and lead, that is, either engraved on lead or more probably with lead. It was customary to cut the letters deep in stone and then to fill them up with lead, so that the record became more permanent. <clears throat> In verse twenty five of Job nineteen, Job says he knows that his redeemer lives <clears throat> Job nineteen twenty five. For I know that my redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Well, <clears throat> Wayne Jackson on pages 51 and 52 of his work, the book of Job stated this, and I quote, The word redeemer translates the Hebrew word term goel. The various derivatives of this word are found some 118 times in the Old Testament. The goel, <coughs> G-O-E-L, was the next of Kent. It was his responsibility to restore the fortune, liberty, and name of his relative, when necessary, and to redress his wrongs, especially to avenging the shedding of innocent blood. Other kinsmen may forsake him, but he has an abiding confidence that there is one who will ultimately not. Who, in Job's mind, was this redeemer? Certainly not man, only God was qualified for such a task, <laughs> So Job believes that he will be eventually vindicated by God. Well, Job believes that after his death, he will see God. Job 19, 26, and 27. And though after my skin, worms destroy this body, Yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. A couple of other translations I want to look at. First of all, the American Standard Version of these verses. He says, After my skin, even this body is destroyed then without my flesh shall I see God. The literal translation puts it this way. After my skin has been struck off from my flesh, yet this, I shall see God. Now to kind of help look at this, Guy in Woods in the question in his question and answers books there, On the question, shall we know one another in heaven, on page 19 stated this, and I quote, here in the most positive fashion the resurrection of the body, the preservation of the personality, and the identity of the individual are taught. Job believes that he, as Job, would see God, that he would see God in the flesh with the change in implies through which bodies must pass in the resurrection. And it would be Job who experienced this with his own eye and not another." So it appears here that Job believes that in his resurrected body he will see God, though his emotions are presently consumed within him. And that's what he's talking about there. Whenever he mentions my reins shall be consumed within me, the word reins there from the Hebrew word kilyah, according to Brown, Driver, Briggs the definition is the seat of emotion and affection, figuratively, and that's the one B definition. And then in Job chapter 19, verses 28 and 29, Job gives his friends a stern warning. In verse 28, he says his friends should be asking, why are they persecuting him? Verse 28, but you should say, why persecute we him? seeing the root of the matter is found in me. Well, his friends might wonder why they're persecuting him because they were convinced that Job had done great wrong. They thought the root cause of Job's suffering was Job's sin. So they might be wondering, well, how are they persecuting him? How are we even persecuting you? It's your own sin that's causing this, not us. And then Job warns his friends there is judgment to come and that they are going to be there. Job nineteen twenty nine. <clears throat> be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishments of the sword that ye may know there is a judgment. So the wicked... The false accuser will be punished. The sword of God's wrath will punish those who are guilty, is what he's telling his friends. Albert Barnes says this concerning verse 29, and I quote, The idea is that wrath or anger such as they have manifested was proper for punishment, and that such malice as they had shown was a crime that god would not suffer to escape unpunishment unpunished they had therefore everything to dread unquote. so job is telling his friends god's justice will be done god's friends will be vindicated and god's enemies will be punished. Job, as we've seen here, is a discouraged and lonely man. His friends have turned against him. He thinks God has turned against him. Now, he still believes that God is the cause of all of his problems. But Job still has faith in God that God will vindicate him and show Job to be innocent of all the accusations his friends have made against him. But in chapter 20, Lord willing, we will get to that in our next lesson, Zophar is going to continue Job's so-called friend's onslaught against Job. Well, again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today on Opening the Scriptures, and we look forward to being with you next time.
0: When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bioway Media by visiting us at biowaymedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.